skipping ahead a little bit from Friday night and this morning. Exodus chapter 16 and verse number 1. And they journeyed from Elam. All the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Then Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel, At evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your murmurings against the Lord. But what are we that you murmur against us? Also, Moses said, this, this shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and in the morning bread to the full. For the Lord hears your murmurings which you make against him. And what are we? Your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses spoke to Aaron, say to all the congregation of the children of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your murmurings. Now it came to pass as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel that they looked toward the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in a cloud. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel. Speak to them saying, at twilight you shall eat meat and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. You shall know that I am the Lord your God. So it was that quails came up at evening and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay all around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance as fine as frost on the ground. When the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, This is the bread which the Lord your God has given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather it according to each one's need, one omer for each person, according to the number of persons. Let every man take for those who were in his tent. And the children of Israel did so and gathered, some more, some less. So when they measured it by omers, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Every man gathered according to each one's need. Father, we just want to want to ask for your help and blessing again. Uh, Lord, I say amen to, to what my brother uh, prayed before. And I just, I just want to pray that you would encourage your people. Speak to your people. You're an amazing God. You deserve all honor, all glory, all praise. Father, we pray that you would cause your people to leave here rejoicing tonight in the God that they have, the the miraculous providing God that you delight to be on behalf of your people. 
Father, we pray that the Spirit of God would give great help tonight and bring out from the Word of God that which is needed and apply it to the hearts of of, uh, the believers here. Father, we give you thanks for another opportunity for you to do your perfect work. Only you can do that which needs to be done tonight, and we commit our way to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Now, um, if you would, we'll come right back here. So you might want to put your thumb in this passage. But I want to go just very briefly. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. But very briefly, I want to go to the primary New Testament um, example of what this points to. That, of course, would be Jesus Christ. So turn, if you would, to John chapter 6. I'm, I'm not, it would be very fun to take this and preach this exclusively as a picture that points to Christ. And it certainly is, obviously is, but I'm really not going to come at it from that perspective. I, I really want to walk through our story tonight as, as a historical story and just learn the lessons and think our way through. What would it have been like to be there um, and what lessons did they learn, all of those things. But, but for sake of clarity... John chapter 6, verse number 31. The Scripture just clearly says this. Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to Him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. So really, for our purposes tonight, all I want you to notice is that Jesus Christ overwhelmingly clearly says in His Word that manna that you read about in Exodus chapter 16, that's me. I am the true manna, you could say. I am the true bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And um, I guess I can't read this without just saying, notice what He promises. Um, He promises, He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. Those of you that know Jesus Christ as, as Lord, as Savior, have you found that to be true? Oh, it's such a joy to know Him, isn't it? Ah, oh, it's such a joy to be getting to know Him better. Doesn't He get better year by year? You know what I mean. I don't mean His person. I mean our experience of Him, our delight in Him. It grows. Man, I, I, um, I guess this is sad looking back, but I had a hollow, hungry ache in grade school. Um, I really did. I, I mean, I remember thinking of things that you would hope a grade schooler would never think of. I remember that. Um, remember junior high longing to fit in. Acceptance by the world with my football player friends. And then, and then I, I repented of my worldliness. It wasn't drinking. It wasn't girls. It wasn't drugs. It wasn't all kinds of things that you could name. It was, in my mind, worse. It was committing adultery on Jesus Christ by wanting to be friends with the world. And I repented of that when I was 15 years old. And, um, and I found that what this says is exactly true, that Jesus Christ abundantly satisfies. Yeah, praise the Lord for a Savior like that. Okay, now, 
for sake of our, our message tonight. Go right back to Exodus chapter 16, if you would. And we're going to walk through our message. We have four little observations of this massive text. So obviously I'm kind of scratching the surface, but, but um, I love this story. There's so many things you can learn from it. Observation number one, you'll notice each of these points uh, start with M. Trying to be clever. Um, that's as clever as it gets. Uh, point number one is maturing. Maturing. Uh, and the whole idea is really, the whole title for the message, if you want to write it down, is opportunity to grow. And what I mean by that is the context, right? So you've come out into the wilderness. They walked three days. Those of you that were here a month ago when I was here, do you remember we talked about the bitter waters of Mara? Those of you that were at Boca, um, we talked about this just a couple nights ago. Um, so you walk three days, no water. All of a sudden someone goes, <gasps> water, and then they drink it. No water, right? It's bitter. And so you come off the heels of that uh, story, and then he, the Lord brings them to Elam. That's a place of provision, a place of blessing. We all love Elam. If you understand what I mean, then you, then you know, I mean, you say, yep, right? Uh, a place of palm trees, right? There's shade. My wife likes places of palm trees <laughs> very much. Uh, there's figs, right? There'd be figs to eat. There was a, a well for every tribe. So this was a place of blessing, a place of provision, a place of shade, a place of rest. If you look at the story in its context, they spend about a month there. And then, and then the bulk of our story is the Lord says it's time to move on. And, and so um, the Lord is going to leave them in this place of rest and blessing for a time. He wants that for his people for a time. But he knows, and I'll go ahead and give you this, this would be a main thought under point number one, that there are things that he wants his people to learn that you could never learn in Elam. Now, we'll talk, we'll talk about that more in just a second. I just want to focus on this thought of Elam. We all like Elam. The Lord is good, isn't he? I see him leading me into places of palm trees and wells and things like that all the time. Um, a number of years ago, uh, Mike Atwood and I were supposed to go to Ireland. This would be, I don't know, four or five years ago. I forget these days. Um, and we had 21 days of ministry for two men. And um, Mike flew over a few days early. Uh, because because the way it all worked out, um, I can see the hand of God all over this, but because of the way it all worked out, he had a few extra days, so he flew, before I ever even got to Ireland, he flew over to England and um, spent the time with his dad. Uh, we had prayed for Mike's dad and Mike's mom for her salvation for years and years and years and years. Um, I don't know, maybe you guys, I, I don't know if you were praying. There were people all over North America praying for my, Mike's mom and dad's salvation. They took Mike's mom one piece at a time, uh, literally. They took her toe, they took half her foot, they took her foot, they took her calf, they took her leg. They kept telling her, you have to stop drinking, you have to stop smoking. Um, they took her other foot, they took her other calf, and then she went into eternity. Um, to our knowledge, apart from Jesus Christ. That was years before. Mike flies over to spend time with his dad. Um, we're all praying for Mike's dad. Um, he witnesses to his dad, and his dad, in a very final way very determined um, says you never speak to me about this again I was born a and he named a religion right a false empty religion with a false empty gospel I will die a and he named it you never speak to me about this again now I don't know the exact chronology but Mike was only there three days and day number three I mean he was only planning to be there day three days 
Day number three, he walked in and his dad had gone into eternity. Beside the bed, right? He walked in and he found his dad just laying there, gone. I love Mike. I know it's not what God has for me, but I would quit everything and just be Mike's Barnabas if I thought if I thought it was what God had for me. Um, I flew over to Ireland and here one of my closest friends in all the world um, can't make it and um, is going to preach the gospel, which he did at his own, to our knowledge, unsaved father's funeral. Um, I had my 21 days, um, and this is not the important part of this, this story, but I had my 21 days and and I did the ministry that was intended for Mike, the ministry that was intended for me. And the only reason I include that is just to say I was exhausted at the end of 21 days. I forget how many times I spoke. It was something like 48 times during that time. And um, so so long story short, um, Mike is over. I wanted to fly over so bad, and I just didn't think it was what the Lord had for me. Mike's over preaching the gospel at his own unsaved father's funeral, to our knowledge, unsaved father. Um, and I have, you know, I do this over here by God's grace with his help. Um, I get back to the airport in Dublin and, uh, it, it, now forgive me, I know that this is a little bit crude, but oftentimes I'll get back to an airport um, and I'll feel so exhausted that I feel physically sick, like I'm going to vomit. Um, and I very much felt that way. I just was exhausted physically. So I check in, I get to my gate, I kind of collapse down into this chair and within within probably a minute or two of hitting this chair um, over the PA, they say, Scott DeGroff, would you please approach the podium? Now, if you travel very much, you know what that means. Um, that means they're going to bump me up to first class. And so and so in, I stood up and I went, yes, right. And uh, and I and I started walking up to the podium and then immediately following that announcement, they said, Mike Atwood, would you please approach the podium? And um, Mike didn't know I was there. I didn't know Mike was there. And we walked up to that podium, and um, and they gave us our tickets. We were right next to each other. Um, I don't know if you've ever flown international first class, but we, we sat there literally laughing out loud, right? Two pioneer workers suffering for Jesus, you know. And um, we, we ate filet mignon and grilled asparagus and chocolate mousse and fruit and cheese. And, and they'll bring you more if you ask for it. And you're sitting on a throne at 33,000 feet. And it goes all the way back. You know, your feet come out. And, um, and we literally, we just laughed out loud at the goodness of God. Um, only a kind and loving and gracious God would do things like that. Right? Mike wasn't even going to fly home through Dublin. It just was so much cheaper that he ended up hopping over to Dublin so that he could get back home. I didn't expect him. He didn't expect me. And we sat there at 33,000 feet. We prayed together. I mean, it was just, I don't know. I'm kind of thankful to have a God like that. And, and you see that here. Right? He brings his people through, through um, bitter waters so that he can test them in verse 25 of chapter 15. And then he brings them to Elam, a place of blessing, a place of provision, a place of his kindness. And they dwell there for a month. And then he's going to move them on from, in from Elam. Excuse me. Why? Again, it's because he wants his people to grow. So it is God's design for your life to have times where he pours out his blessing on you in ways that you weep and say thank you and you never forget those things. 
And it is, according to this story, absolutely God's intent for your life to leave Elam and to go into the desert again. Places of a lack of provision, places where your needs are not met, places where you have only to look to Him. You have no other option. There are no trees with with fruit on them. There are no wells, right? You have to look to the living God to meet your needs. And you can learn, I mean, from this story, you learn that this is God's intent. Now, I'm going to go ahead and give this to you now. In chapter 15, at the very end of verse number 25, it says, There he tested them. I have that highlighted in my Bible. In chapter 16, at the near the end of verse number 4, it says, That I may test them. So both of these stories are beautiful examples of how the Lord interacts with his people. And they're both tests. Now, we'll talk about what kind of tests they are here in just a second. So, maturing, opportunity to grow. There are things that you could never learn at Elam that the Lord wants you to learn. So, point of application for point number one. Embrace the wilderness as a time to be made like Christ. If the Lord takes you out of a place like Elam into the wilderness, He has not forsaken you. He has not lessened in His love for you. He wants you to learn. He wants you to grow. He wants you to glorify His name and show you things and do things for you that you would have no need of at Elam. Does that make sense? You can learn so many things from this story. Okay, point number two in my outline. Murmuring. M number two. Murmuring. Let's read verse two and three. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly. So they are, they are murmuring. Um, if you'll skip down a little bit, notice that in verse number 8, it says your murmurings, this is the very end of verse 8, your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. So you might jot down if you're taking notes, all murmuring is offensive to God. All murmuring is against God. If you think you're murmuring against the elders in the assembly, you are murmuring against God. If you think you're murmuring against your parents, right? Like your thought has been to murmur against them. You are murmuring against God. All murmuring is against God. Now notice a few things, a few little juicy little morsels, I call them. You know, nice little details in the text. Uh, murmurers, are, they have short memories, they have short sight, they have short faith. Uh, memory. Uh, in 3a, it says, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat and ate bread to the full. Isn't that crazy? That's their memory of Egypt, Right? Don't you want to grab a, a Hebrew at this point and say, don't you remember that you were slaves? Right? Don't you remember they were killing your babies? Right? You cried out to the Lord. Right? I mean, that was the reality of it. That the, the, the life in Egypt was so miserable, they cried out in anguish to the Lord and the Lord miraculously delivered them. This is an incredible spit in the face of God, isn't it? And they're murmuring against God and saying, oh, if we could only be slaves back in Egypt, if God had never done this, right? So they have short memories. Now, I know it's kind of a lighthearted, silly 
comparison. But have you ever run into somebody, I did, this happens every once in a while to me, run into somebody and they say, oh, the best time of my life was high school. Right? I try have a hardest time not laughing when, when people say that. I don't have anything against high school. Like, I enjoyed high school. There were a lot of opportunities for the Lord. I was dying to get out of high school. You've heard of senioritis, right? I had senioritis halfway through my junior year and uh, was just ready, ready to go. Um, but looking back now, man, every year with Christ gets better. I hope that you can say that. Every year with Christ gets better. And, and so, um, man, it just it's the same thing in the sense that they look back with these rose-colored glasses and they see a time with less responsibility, maybe less cares, you know, things like that, and they think, oh, that was the greatest time in the world. Here, the children of Israel find themselves in a difficult place without all of their felt needs being met, and they look back and they, and they murmur. So they have a short memory. They have short sight. They say, you brought us out here to kill us. And then a short faith. Murmurers, and this would apply to every one of us, I'll, I'll eagerly include myself in this sin, Murmurers um, do not see what God can do. So they're not looking at the situation saying, I bet the Lord's going to miraculously provide manna here, right? Or even if they don't know the details, uh, I can't wait to see how the living God provides for us this time, right? Murmurers don't say that. They, they look at the circumstance of the day and they, and they complain. Oh, I wish we were back in Egypt, you know, where we ate meat and bread to the full. God often delays His help. He tarries ere He comes, long enough to bring us to the end of ourselves and to show us the futility of looking to creature aid. I like the way He puts that. He brings you to the place where the only option you have is to look to Him. His word says this, He who spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? That's Romans 8, verse number 32. So, point of application for point number two uh, is simple. All murmuring is sin against God. If you've been murmuring, complaining, maybe you've been doing that out loud, maybe you've been doing that in your heart. If you've been sinning against God in that way, I just encourage you, for the glory of Jesus Christ, the pleasure of Jesus Christ, and for your own good, just repent tonight. Say, Lord, you put your finger right on the right place. I've been murmuring against you. It's sin against you. It's a lack of sight. It's a lack of memory. It's a lack of faith. I don't want to do that. I'm falling short of your son. Please forgive me. Please change my character so that I'm a man of faith, a woman of faith. You know, I've felt many times in my Christian life like I'm going to wear out that verse. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But there's no expiration date on that, right? Praise God. So if you're a murmurer, tonight would be a great time to repent. Okay, this is my favorite point of the four. Uh, Point number three is manna. Point number three is manna. And let's read verse number four. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them. This is where we're going to talk about what kind of a test this is whether they will walk in my law or not. Okay, so that's the test, right? Will they walk according to my instruction or will they not walk according to my instruction? Pretty simple, right? And it's such a physical, tangible example. 
that, by the way, this is quoted. This exact story and these exact verses, I'll refer to that here in just a second, are quoted with a very specific point in the New Testament. So you have a story here, primary New Testament usage is Jesus Christ says, that manna, that's, that's me. I am the living embodiment of what that pictures. Secondary is this right here. We'll talk more about that in just a second. Okay, so what was the test? Go out and gather as much manna as you need. As you read through this story, it, it says it multiple times. Um, Let every man take for those who are in his tent one omer for each person according to the number of persons. The children of Israel did so and gathered some more, some less. Forgive me, where is it? Is it 17? Children, yeah, measured by omer. He who got... Anyways, I'll give it to you. Two times it says... Um, ah, I remember what it means in Hebrew and I can't remember the English. Um, it, it's each one according to his eating. Forgive me, this is bad preaching. If you're, if you're looking for a bad example, this is it. Um, it. It means each one according to his eating. It's the same exact phrase that's used in the Passover, right? Everybody had lamb in the Passover and you could have as much as you needed, right? Each one according to his eating. It says it twice in this text. I don't want to read through the whole thing and find it. Um, but there was going to be enough. So everybody gathered enough. And the test was there's going to be an abundance of resources. In this story, it's manna. So, so a lack of water in chapter 15 is a test. An abundance of bread in chapter 16 is a test. I think this is so incredibly important. The Lord will test you by making you have a lack of resources. Okay, what are my people going to do? The Lord will also test you by abundantly pouring resources out on you and then giving you clear teaching in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, that, that quotes verse number 18 and says that basically, to put it in my own words, we'll read it again here in just a second, but to put it on my own words, when you have extra, like your needs are met, when you have extra, the extra, that's not for you, that's for others. That's the whole point. And now let's read it. When they measured it by omers, he who gathered much had nothing left over. He who gathered little had no lack. Every man had gathered according to each one's need. Now, I'm not going to go to 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. That's a beautiful passage. It's the most expansive passage that we have on teaching of giving in the New Testament. How to handle financial resources, what the Corinthians were being instructed, all that. Please look into that. Please study that out. I'm just going to give you the physical illustration here. And then he uses it in the context of financial giving, right? So, so let's suppose um, I need $500 a month to pay my bills. One month I have 400 By God's design, resources should flow. We actually see this all the time. Resources should flow this way so that, um, so that my needs are met. And then the next month, I have $800. Why did the Lord give me 300 extra? According to the picture, right? 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is abundantly clear in the context of financial giving. The extra is not for me. It's for others. And so it should flow back. And it actually specifically says, right, in the English, in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, it specifically says 
that, that their need is supposed to be met by your abundance. And then they said, not that they would be rich and you'd be poor, but, but it's supposed to flow back, right? Eventually, you'll have a need and then it'll be met by their abundance. So let me give you an example. This was an incredible privilege for me and a delight for me. Um, this is only a good God that could do something like this. The first time that my wife and I and kids ever went to Spanish Wells, it was a little over four years ago, um, we spent that trip, we had a great time, three weeks down there, we spent that trip getting to know a ton of people. There was one particular family right from the beginning that was a burden on our, on our hearts. And so I talked to my wife about it, we prayed about it, and um, we decided that a certain percentage of what we were given while we were on the island, we were going to give that away um, to this family. Uh, they have needs, I'm not going to go into all that, but they had a specific certain kind of need. And so we thought, okay, this is what we're going to do. And so, and so cash gifts would come and we would set aside a little bit, right? Just keep track of it, set aside a little bit. Um, all the giving, we totaled it all up. Okay, so here's our, here's our pot of giving. Now, I thought that this was really neat too. I ended up with, I don't remember if it was $20 or $40 or whatever, but I ended up with just a little bit extra Bahamian money. And there are ways for me to go change that, right? Like I can go turn that into American money and take it home. I looked at that. I quickly prayed about it. I asked Lynn if she cared and she said no. And, and so I said, okay, I'm going to give that too, right? And we just threw that in there. Like why go change it? So we just threw it in there. We wrote a note, um, put it in an envelope, Dropped it, dropped it just quickly by the house the day that we were leaving. Now, I only learned this two weeks ago, um, three weeks ago, something like that. It was such a delight. Usually, I'm on the other end of all these things. So, this was such a privilege that God, that God did. Um, what happened was they had a very specific medical need. Um, one of the medications that, that their son needed was, was 300 and... No, sorry, 400 and $70 a month. This was month number one, right? And, and um, I, feel, I, I feel the pain of this guy. Um, I'm a man, right? I want to provide. I want to be a man. I want to take care of my family. Um, there's a part of me, I don't know if it's really admirable, but there's a part of me that wants to be independent, that wants to be strong. And this guy was wrestling through all these things, like how am I going to take care of this medication that my son needs. And on that particular morning, he just gave up, right? He could not buy the medication that his son needed for $470. Um, he went off and he worked a job that morning and, and um, the lady that he worked the job for um, said, hey, I hear so-and-so has been having a hard time and I know that you guys are, are having a hard time. She said, I just really wanted to help. It's not very much, but I just really wanted to help you with this and she handed him a hundred dollar bill and he came home and um, and he said to his wife you're never gonna believe this right I, I just did this job and and the lady that I did this job for she gave me she gave me a hundred dollars and his wife uh, these are dear friends his wife was sitting in the living room crying and said well you're never gonna believe this um, and, and, um, we had come by and the amount that God had 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 led us very systematically the amount that God had led us to put in that envelope right plus the little extra was 370 
And I only learned this a couple of weeks ago, and it's just such a delight to have a God like that. So, so he went out, worked, got $100, came home. She was waiting there with $370, and they put that together, and they went and bought month number one. Isn't that good, to have a God like that? Um, and I'm telling you that. Like, I would really, I don't know, I, I'd rather personally not say those things. But I'm just telling you, um, as an illustration of this story, that the tendency of the human heart, right? There's manna everywhere. God says, okay, here, I'm going to give them abundant resources to see what they do with it. What is the tendency of the human heart? Hoard it, right? By the way, this is the American way. You hoard it, right? You deserve it. Will your finances make it through retirement? All the rest of it, right? You hoard it. And so, and so God says, I'm going to test them to see whether they will use the manna the way I tell them. Go out and get what you need, right? What did they do? They, they took extra... They hoarded, by the way, there's a difference between hoarding and saving. We'll talk about that in just a second. They, they hoarded, and what did the hoarded resources do? It bred worms and stank. Now, here's a sad question. Have you ever seen a very successful, sometimes very godly, right? Sometimes very pagan. But have you ever seen a very successful man spend his life amassing incredible wealth? And then have you ever seen after he died, his children fight over that wealth and it just ends up destroying the family? I've seen that more than once, right? When you hoard resources, it breeds worms and stinks. I've actually seen godly men. I know godly men now, and I could care less what the Lord directs them to do with their money. But they're going to leave their money, apparently, they're going to leave their money to godless children. And I just think, right? I don't want a penny of their money. The Lord knows. I don't want to, you know, I don't want a penny of their money. I just want it to be poured into the things of God for their benefit, right? So, now let's briefly talk about this. What's the difference between hoarding and saving? I don't want to be overly simplistic, but, but the primary difference that I see is that saving is for God's glory. It, like Jonathan Edwards, he said, he said, make all you can, save all you can, give all you can. And I like that because it reflects the, the tension in the Word of God, right? How do you save all you can and give all you can? You have to be directed by the Spirit of God, right? And so if you have a $1.5 million condo, right? I don't know if anybody has a $1.5 million condo, extra condo. If that's you, then, then if you're hoarding, that's selfish. If you're saving that, you're, you're ready at a moment's notice to, to dispense that for the glory of God. Does that make sense? I'll give you an example. The good news on the move team, I had the privilege of working with them. I was one of six guys um, that worked kind of like as the leadership team for six years. And um, at one point, we were praying about having an East Coast team and a West Coast team. We were just asking the Lord, is this what you would want? And we got to the place where we thought, if the Lord provides 24 guys, we will have an East Coast team and a West Coast team. During that time when we were praying, right, we didn't say anything to anybody, but during that time we were praying, a businessman walked up to Jabe, and he said to Jabe, have you ever thought of having two teams? And Jabe, and Jabe just kind of discreetly said, well, we've thought of the idea. And the businessman, just like this, he says, he says I love this, that the God does these things. He says, um, okay, if the Lord leads you to have two teams, I'll buy all your vehicles. If you're, talk, you're talking about an 80-foot RV, retrofitted and then vinyl wrapped, right? Uh, a trailer, a, a truck, a sprinter van. If you're talking about $380,000 worth of vehicles. And this guy was saying, if the Lord leads you that way, I will do this. Do you see what I mean? Like he was not, 
spending every month, right, bringing his bank account down to zero. That's not, I'm not saying that that's, a, that that's what every Christian has to do at all. First um, Timothy 6 has instructions to rich Christians, right? Now, here's a deep theological thought for you. Why are there instructions to rich Christians in First Timothy chapter 6? Because there would be rich Christians, right? I mean, it's so simple, right? There would be wealthy Christians. And so there are instructions to wealthy Christians. And so, and so saving is the attitude, right? All of my resources... You put your finger on it, right? Let's use the one and a half million dollar condo. If the Lord wanted you to sell that and give the money to missions, would you do that? Right? I mean, that's, that's sell anything. Your house, your vehicle, anything, right? Resources that are for Him. Like, that's fine. Praise God. Make all you can. Save all you can. Give all you can. But then, but then if you're hoarding you know, it, it, it's the thing that I think is neat is the principle in Second Corinthians 8 and 9. Um, Let each one give as he's purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves right, a hilarious giver, right? A cheerful giver. And so it's up to you. Nobody has to do well in the Christian life. You do not have to do well. You can stand with incredible sorrow at the judgment seat of Christ someday, having done horribly poorly for the glory of Jesus Christ in your life. Nobody is required to do well. And in that sense, I'm not trying to make anybody do well, although I long for, I ache for, and I pray for that you do well at the judgment seat of Christ. So it's up to you. My encouragement is simple. Based on this story, ask the Lord, well, I would sit down. I would encourage you to sit down and systematically everything in your life, give it to the Lord. Um, I did that before the Lord about a year ago. Um, Everything in my life, um, my house, my vehicles, my family, my ministry... My library, that one was harder for me than the other things. Um, and I mean it. Like I said, this is, Lord, this is yours. Your library. Um, I, I love my library. Um, and I just gave it. And you know, it was funny. You've heard stories like this before. But it was so funny. After I did that, um, a few weeks later, someone hit my car on the rear left and didn't destroy it, but just dented it really good. Paint and all that, you know. And I just went, oh. And then I went, oh, it doesn't matter. Who cares? It belongs to the Lord, right? And then a week later, someone hit my car on the front right, and I went, oh, you know? And then I went, who cares? It doesn't, doesn't matter, right? And then the plumbing broke in our house, and the first guy that came said it'll be $6,500. And I went, oh, and then I went, I don't care. I don't care. It's the Lord's house, right? He can care for it. It doesn't matter. I mean, it was like the Lord did, you know, tested. Okay, you said this. I'll test you on that. So anyways, um, I, it's a beautiful principle. The tendency of the human heart is to take more manna than what you need and to hoard it. If you do that, it breeds worms and it stinks. I guarantee you on the authority of the Word of God that you will be sorry that you hoarded God's manna. Um, if you're saving, you know, completely different. Now, to, to look at this in its context, um, it's small, uh, pictures the humility of Christ, it's round, the perfection of Christ, it's white, the purity of Christ, it's sweet, the sweetness of Christ. The manna came from heaven. We should look up for our provision. The manna came early. I think, I would put it this way, it is wise to seek Christ early in the day. You cannot remake the broken reflections of a lake swept by the wind. Those of you that have lived your Christian life very long, 
if you don't seek the Lord early, boy, it's so easy to get pushed, 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 and then you're exhausted at night. What you're even capable of doing mentally is not the same as what you can do in the morning. I'm not a morning person. Um, you know, it, like I'm, I respect the four in the morning, right? Diligent, right? You know, monastic Christians. Um, that's not me. But but I find in my Christian life, I have to seek the Lord early, whatever that means. So so that's definitely pictured here, right? They gathered Christ. I mean, according to the picture, they gathered manna early, and then finally they gathered daily. So daily we must feed on Him. So point of application for point number three is simple: God can provide. God delights to provide. God is honored when we trust Him. I'll say it again if you're recording it. God can provide. God delights to provide. God is honored when we trust Him. Now, this last one, in my mind, is very fun as well. We haven't even read these verses yet, but point number four, if you're taking notes, is memorial. Memorial. And then go forward a little bit to verse number 32. It says, Then Moses said, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Fill an omer with it to be kept for your generations, that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a pot and put an omer of manna in it. Lay it up before the Lord to be kept for your generations. I just want to make, just a, with the time we have left, just a little practical application. I want to encourage you, if you feel the freedom before the Lord, to actually, in a practical way, um, think through and pray through how you can do this for the glory of God. Here, they're taking a miraculous provision of God and they are um, laying that up as a physical memorial, as a testimony to what God did. Now, now please notice here, in verse number 7, it says, In the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. I think this is so cool. What did they see in the morning? I know it says the glory of the Lord, but what did they actually physically see in the morning? The manna, right? Okay, so what they saw was manna. That's the glory of the Lord. Of course, it points to Christ. You know, I'd love to develop that. Um, but, but in this physical, historic sense, what I want you to see is that the provision of God is the glory of God. Don't you love to hear the stories of how God provides for His people? Right? There are whole books written, and I love those books. Right? I have those. I've read those multiple times. I'll probably read them again. It's such a joy to hear how God provides for His people. And of course, the greatest provision that God has ever given is Jesus Christ. Right? So, so the, the, glory of, or the provision of God is the glory of God. So based on that, what I'm, what I'm encouraging you to do is um, lay up a memorial, however the Lord leads you, for the glory of God. And I'll give you an example of what I mean. We did not think of this. We stole this from a missionary. We stole the name, the idea, everything. Um, we have at home a physical box that we call an Ebenezer box. It's based on Samuel where you know they raised their Ebenezer. Thus far the Lord has helped us, right? So we have this box. I, like, I think most people call it a shadow box. It's got the little, the little cubicles in it. Um, it used to be more popular, I think, than it is now, but people would collect those little miniatures, right? It's that kind of a box. So that's our Ebenezer box. So years ago, when we went into full-time work, my neighbor, um, he's a lovely Christian guy, um, he said, he said, now what are you going to do? And, and I tried to explain it to him. And, and he said, um, and who's going to pay you? And I tried to explain it to him. 
And he said, and how many months income do you have saved? And I said, none. Um, and and he's, and he's, I mean, he just kept asking questions and he could not wrap his head around what we were going to do. It just seemed crazy to him, right? And so at the end, now he's being gracious. He wasn't being mean or spiteful, anything like that. He's being gracious. At the end of our conversation, he looked at me and said, you can eat with us. <laughs> like he fully expected my family was going to starve, you know. And so off we launch into full-time work. Um, we went on a trip at one point. We came home, and it was, it was funny. It took us a second to even realize what happened. Eventually, I walked over to the fridge, opened it. Our refrigerator was packed full of food. Um, I opened our freezer, packed full of food. Um, my dad had let somebody, I don't, of course, know who, but my dad had let somebody into the house, and they loaded our fridge. They loaded our freezer. They, I went to the cupboards. They loaded our cupboards right? I have no idea what they spent, but we were just packed with food. We ate on that literally for months. Um, we got to the point where I remember I, I had, if I remember correctly, I think I had 13 cents in my checking account. It was either that or 39, forgive my feeble brain. Um, but anyways, I didn't have enough money to go buy rice. I didn't have enough money to go buy beans, right? That's what I remember. Um, almost zero money. I'd gotten down to three or four cans in, in the cupboard. There was nothing, literally nothing in the fridge, nothing in the freezer. And every time we got another can out of the, out of the cupboard, my joy just went up and up and up, thinking I cannot wait to see how the living God provides, right? We got down all the way to almost nothing. Um, we drove about an hour to, to, just to visit this little group of Christians, no preaching, anything like that. Just go visit. Um, we had a wonderful time of fellowship. Uh, before that was over, one of the brothers came up and, and he said, I have a cow that was struck by lightning today. And, um, and he said, he said um, if you want it, right? Like they took the meat, they butchered it, like the part of it was, was pre-cooked. Um, but, but part of it was, was fine. And so he comes to us and he's got double bagged, right? These plastic bags. He's got T-bones and porterhouses and, and ribeyes and like all of this beautiful meat, right? And, and he said, now there's something else too. And he goes back to his truck. He comes back with these big uh, grocery sacks, these, these paper grocery sacks. And he's got vegetables, farm fresh vegetables stuffed, right? So home we go, right? He doesn't know I, I can't buy rice, I can't buy beans. I never told him, by the way, I still haven't told him. Uh, he doesn't know that. Um, and so we go home with our farm fresh vegetables and our beautiful pieces of meat. Now, this is the part I, I just laugh at looking back. I should go tell my neighbor this. But, but um, my neighbor who said, you can eat with us, um, every night, we, for weeks, every night I was grilling steaks on the, on the patio, you know? He's out mowing his lawn. I'm grilling steaks, you know? How's full-time work? It's going good, you know? <laughs> and and uh, it was just, it was so fun. Now, my, my whole story is, is this, right? The provision of God is the glory of God, right? I'm happy to emphasize that. But the whole story is this. In our Ebenezer box, we have little steaks. Does that make sense? Yeah. So we, so my kids know the story, right? Now, another story. My kids were young when we went into full-time work. I don't think... I know Rebecca doesn't remember this. I mean, it's Rebecca now, but it was Rebecca. And um, she doesn't remember this. But there are little miniature shoes in our Ebenezer box. This has only ever happened one time. The kids had no shoes. We asked the Lord, would you please provide shoes? We prayed with the kids. It's such a privilege to live this life and to see the Lord build the faith of my kids. We prayed with them, Lord, would you please provide shoes? And, and somebody showed up at the house, right? We went to the door. They're just beaming. And they said, we came to buy your kids' shoes. Can we take your kids and go buy them shoes? 
And so we have little miniatures, shoes, right? And so when the Lord has miraculously provided a garage door, we needed a garage door. We have a little mini garage door, um, a MacBook um, you know, to use for the Lord. Uh, we haven't bought that miniature yet. Um, but those, like I could just keep going and keep going, and I'm not going to. But what I'm saying is when the Lord miraculously moves, we just thought this is a good idea. Right, And so we're going to lay up, and I can see that being passed to my daughter or my son someday, and then them telling the stories. Right, This is how I grew up. This is what we watched the Lord do. So it's what he does here. Right, Lay up for a memorial for God's people. You have the principle in the Word of God that one generation should tell the next generation of the glory of God. The glory of God is the provision of God. So now I'm describing my life, right? But however the Lord moves in your life, right? Miraculous provision of a job. And, and so you have some little testimony, whatever, whatever it is. Um, it's just laying up a memorial to give glory to the Lord. So uh, opportunity to grow. It's an op- you know, the desert is not comfortable. Uh, we all like Elam. The desert is not comfortable. But the Lord says there are things that you have to learn that you can't learn if I left you in Elam perpetually. And so he takes you out into the desert, financially, spiritually, emotionally, professionally, I mean, whatever it is. He takes you out into the desert. This is where all the great stories come from. Murmuring is the tendency of the human heart, but it's sin against God. It's not okay with God. Repent, confess, ask the Lord to change you. His glory is his provision. His manna was his glory from on high. And we have the privilege of telling people about the glory of God when we make a testimony like they made or a memorial. So, let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here. Uh, Lord, I love the people in this room. I thank you for them. I love this assembly collectively and, and it's such a delight and a privilege to have gotten to know so many of them individually. Lord God, I, I just pray that the Spirit of God would show us how to apply these things. I want to ask you specifically tonight, Lord, that the Christians here that are listening to this, that they would do incredibly well at the judgment seat of Christ for the glory of Jesus Christ and for their own literal eternal reward, eternal blessing which will shine on the beauty of Christ forever. Father, I I pray for each one of these principles that you would show us what needs to go, what needs to stay. Um, Father, the American dream is such a stronghold on, on the people of God in this country. We pray that we would not live for what our neighbors live for, that we would not have the values that our neighbors have, that we would forsake all and follow Christ, whatever that means. Father, help us to save for the glory of God. Help us to dispense for the glory of God. Help us to use money for the glory of God. Whatever it is, Lord, please just teach us and show us. Um, Most of all, we pray, Father, that people's hearts would be Christ-like. If our hearts are Christ-like, if we're humble, if we're longing to listen to you, the rest of it will follow. You will lead your people unto tremendous glory for Jesus Christ. So, Lord, show us. If we're idolatrous, two times your New Testament says covetousness, which is idolatry. Lord, you know I hate this and I'm embarrassed by this. But you know that in the back of my heart is a tendency toward covetousness. Thank you for warning me about that in my life. Thank you for, at at times, repeatedly warning me. Lord, I, I long to be changed, to be like Your Son, and I pray for that, Father. I pray for my brothers and sisters that whatever they need, that the Spirit of God would abundantly provide that, 
that he could get more glory than what he's getting right now and that the saints would do far better at the judgment seat of Christ than if you left us to ourselves. Lord, this is your word. These are your people. It's your work. You're more than willing and more than adequate to do this work. Lord, we rejoice in you. We love you. We commit this to you tonight. All in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.